Welcome to Tripod, our travel retail theme podcast series in collaboration with the SEVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Nice to be back with you, Roger, uh, for our second episode. Uh, tell us about what's going to be happening today. Thanks, Martin. I think we've had some really good feedback from last week. I can definitely get better. Uh, I definitely got some messages and WhatsApps saying that I need to do a lot better. So I'm sure we can make uh, this podcast more successful as we go along. Uh, but generally, I think we got some really good feedback. We've got a great guest today. Really excited, actually. Uh, we've got Sharon Beecham, president of purchasing of Dubai Duty Free, uh, one of our biggest female leaders in travel retail. Um, and it'll be and a fascinating career, actually, even more fascinating than I even knew about before we started talking to Sharon for this. So can't wait to have Sharon, Sharon on later. Um, and then uh, topic of the week. Uh, so the thing I want to talk about first is Heinen. I think um, you can't read any of our industry press at the moment without the H word popping up. Uh, and I thought it'd be really good just to start there, actually, uh, Martin, and talk a bit about Heinen. Um, Heinen's doing really incredibly well. And I think, you know, if we look at 2020, even 2021, uh, without Heinen in the picture, I think it would have been quite a, um, a negative news story. It's the gold, shining gold light we've got at the moment in travel retail. And uh, I think the reason I picked it as something to talk about this week, Martin, was just to explain a bit about Duty Free Islands. Um, not a new concept, been around, you know, way before I was born. But, you know, examples of Heligoland, have a look up that up on Wikipedia for anyone who doesn't know what Heligoland is. A little island, you know, off Germany. Um, you know, been a duty-free island since the 1950s. There's a few of these scattered in Scandinavia, just off Sweden. Um, and generally speaking, for those who aren't aware, of the concept is there are islands that you can either uh, go across by car if possible, or ferry, or boat. And you get duty-free status, whether that's you we're in, in the EU or in China when we're talking about Hainan. So not a new concept. Fantastic, it's been successful. Um, I think there should always be a bit of caution with duty-free islands. And the only reason I say that is from a brand owner perspective, and as you know, I've spent you know 90% of my career over on the brand side, is just be really clear who your consumer is and where they're consuming the goods. Um, and then uh, is there a benefit? So, you know, it, as long as the consumer's coming over, you know who they are, you know where they're taking the goods or where they're consuming the goods. And then most importantly, is there a benefit for your business? And the only reason I had that little caution uh, on the end, Martin, with all of the duty-free islands is you don't want to cause, uh, you know, that disruption in your own business where you do start stealing from domestic because we want a really healthy travel retail industry. Uh, and it's really important. That's a very transparent um, you know, industry and one that is uh, sustainable. Uh, but apart from that, I think they're a great concept. I think we'll see far more of these. I know there's a number planned for China. Um, and I think we're going to see a number of these pop up. And I'm sure we'll see them uh, throughout the rest of the world as well, especially as we start seeing the, you know, the rebuild post-COVID. Um, so... Martin, what's your view? You've been to Hainan, I haven't. Um, what's your view and how amazing does it look over there? Yeah, it is amazing. Remember, it's only been going since 2011. So this is a fledgling industry. It, it, it took the model from Jeju and Korea and Okinawa in Japan 
Uh, it's built up from a single tiny store in uh, downtown Sanya around YCDFG in 2011 to what it is today, um, you know, which is basically a $5 billion market last year. Wow. Going to be around $9 billion this year, wow. $15 billion next year, and a lot, lot more in the near future. So it's an extraordinary success story. Um, but you're right to, to touch on some sensitivities. There, is, uh, there are growing pains, as there are with any market that just grows that fast. And I think my wariness at the moment uh, would be looking at this proliferation of retailers that you've got there, which reminds me a little bit about what, uh, what happened in downtown Seoul, where, frankly, too many operators came in and we had a lot of discounting and a lot of, should we say, less disciplined um, retailing. And I think the, the key for those new retailers is differentiation from one another. Don't get in a, in a, in a price war and a race to the bottom because that will hurt Hainan and it will also hurt a brand, um, the brand attitude towards, towards the island. Because you're right, there is some tension between the Chinese domestic market arms and the travel retail arms, uh, because this is at the end of the day, a domestic consumer. So Hainan's just got to be a little careful, um, but if they get it right, because of the Chinese government's determination, even obsession, I would say, with maximizing domestic consumption and repatriating travel spending from abroad, abroad then Hainan's got a, got a glorious future just has to make sure uh, that that it stays disciplined and um, I think it'll be in in good shape but it's an extraordinary success story of our times Roger we call it the lighthouse of the duty-free industry certainly the rest of the industry was in a lot of darkness last year and still is so well let's see will we see other Hainans around the world around Asia to match the Jeju the Okinawa and the Hainan model why not going to be interesting to watch. So Roger, I think it's time to bring in our special guest. So this episode's special guest is someone known and much respected across the whole duty-free industry. Sharon Beecham is head of purchasing at Dubai Duty Free, one of the world's great travel retailers with a fantastic 38-year success story. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Nice to have you with us. Uh, Roger, we're delighted at this week's guest, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Really can't wait to get into it with Sharon. It'll be really good. We're very lucky to have someone like Sharon on, uh, on the podcast. So thanks a lot for agreeing to do it, Sharon. Oh, you're very kind. Very nice intro, Martin. Thank you very much. I think it's the kindest thing you've said about me for a few years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, Roger, you're, you're based in Dubai, of course, where, where Sharon is. So why don't you lead us in and we'll take it from, take it from here. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Sharon, I guess the first thing I want to ask you, uh, considering you and I stumbled into each other about three years ago in Moscow, mm -hmm. um, take us back to when you uh, used to work in Russia, which is a fascinating story, which you have shared with me in the past. But I'd love to hear about your time in Russia in duty free and living in Russia as well, which I guess most people won't know uh, mm -hmm. that about you, actually. Um, yeah, sure. I actually got to Moscow in 1994. Uh, so I started in, uh, September, in no, February 1994, uh, which seems like an absolute lifetime ago now. 
Um, I stumbled into Moscow just because I wasn't, I was a bit kind of bored doing what I was doing, to be perfectly honest at the time. Um, and I just told the agency to, you know, just anything, you know, off the wall, whatever. Um, and then they kind of came up with Moscow, which I nearly kind of fell off the chair. I didn't even know that anybody could be employed in Moscow at that point in time. Um, and that's where they introduced me to ARI. ARI interviewed me. They were looking for a retail manager for um, Aerofirst in Moscow. Um, and I got through the interview and they offered me a job. And then the next thing I knew, I was on a plane and on the way there. Um, I can remember being at the airport and absolutely sobbing because I was leaving all my friends behind. And it felt like I was going to the other side of the world. It was three hours away. Um, the places to live um, were not of a lot of choice. Um, so we ended up, um, first of all, they put us into what was the um, Olympic village at the time, um, which was miles out of the city. Um, so any, if you wanted to go into the city, it was like a four to five minute um, taxi drive to get in there. Uh, you didn't um, pick up a phone and call a taxi. If you wanted a taxi, um, you just stood on the side of the road and stuck your thumb out um, and anybody would stop and you'd just negotiate a bit of money and get in there. You say that now, thinking that I was a 29 year old uh, woman, girl at the time. If you said that to anybody that age now, you think they were absolutely bonkers uh, to get in the car with a stranger on your own you'd never seen before uh, for a 45 minute drive into Moscow. Um, and we never once questioned it. Um, I remember being um, kind of shocked and felt quite sorry at the same time for uh, there'll be all these women lined up outside the metros selling um, everything from great big buckets of coleslaw um, that they would make themselves and sell and then they'd give it to you in a plastic cup um, or absolutely everything and anything that they had spare. I remember seeing bras, knickers, um, tights, um, t-shirts, things, everything uh, that you can imagine. And my friend came over, I remember she didn't, couldn't get her head around the fact that this old lady was standing outside the metro with her trying to sell a bra. So uh, yeah, shopping, living was um, interesting, but it was in, you know, incredibly historic place at the end of the day. And, as much as Moscow was a little bit kind of run down and a bit kind of tatty on the edges, it was still um, beautifully historic. And it was it was really untouched at that point in time. You know, it had not the big shopping, um, that I, I'm not sure what it's called, but they were building that big shopping arcade in front of um, Red Square. That wasn't there when, when I was there. So it was still fairly untouched to a certain extent. You're most known for working Dubai GT3, uh, I guess, in the industry. What? How did that come about? And I guess from Russia to Dubai, three hours, seven and yeah. a half hours. Um, and I guess yeah. Dubai, when you got here, was very different to the Dubai that you know we enjoy now. How did that happen? And what did you think when you got there? Um, well, as much as obviously I knew Aero first, Arienta uh, uh, um, and all of the people, I didn't know that there was a connection with Dubai and Arienta. Um, I knew the connection in uh, Bahrain with the Middle East office um, because some of the people that I worked with had gone to Bahrain to work in the Arienta um, Middle East. So I had gone over um, to Dubai to visit a friend that was in Dubai that was nothing to do with the duty free. It was, they were a friend from the UK. I had finished my contract with Aero First um, and I was actually had taken um, a year out and I'd gone traveling. I was, cause I, I finished my contract with um, Arienta in China. 
I did three months in Beijing. So I actually stayed on um, and went to Vietnam and Malaysia and all of these places. So before I was going to go back to the UK and uh, think seriously about what I was going to do, um, I actually went back to the UK, dropped all my stuff, went to visit this friend that was living in um, Dubai. And while I was there, um, the people who I knew in Bahrain from Airy, um, uh, area to Middle East um, actually contacted me to say that um, to buy duty free were looking um, to um, kind of expand the management team, if you like. Um, and somebody had told them that I was there. Um, and because those with Arienta and the Irish connection, they actually asked me to, uh, to go in and meet them. So I went in and met George um, and the rest is history. So George interviewed me, um, he offered me a job and I started in February, 1998. I think it, it, it was particularly appealing to me um, that it was travel retail and I would have, if I'd gone back to the UK, I would have started looking um, in that area still because the, the difference between the domestic retailing and travel retail retailing is just, it's so much more interesting and dynamic. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot more that you can embrace in terms of being able to influence and the size of the business in comparison to um, a domestic unit. So if you're part of um, high street retailing in the UK, you're ultimately going to be looking after one shop um, getting into regional work or, or head office work is a huge step up um, and it's extremely competitive. So you go into airports um, and travel retail, you're, you're immediately already in a, in, a, in a big size in terms of the responsibility. So I'd really enjoyed that part of it um, in Moscow, uh, the size of the business and the variety of it um, and how dynamic it was. And I would have liked to have stayed in that. So it was appealing to me when Dubai um, reached out um, to go and um, see them. When, when I joined in February 98, within a year, um, the work had already started to, to close that and move it into the, the new airport. So it was kind of like, like a three phase. Um, so it was almost like a baptism of fire from the moment that I joined. Within a few months, they were cutting the shop in half, moving it to somewhere else. So we almost spent like nearly 18 months I mean, not quite close to two years with um, Brendan O'Shea at the time, just constantly moving things and opening new sections to allow for the work to, 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 to actually, um, uh, for us to actually open the main shop, which was in 2000. Um, so yeah, it was a, a baptism of fire for sure. Well, you know, so you've worked for two players over, yeah. over the last decades that, that have this commonality of, uh, of heritage and that's, that's the Irishness and the, uh, and, and the area Arienta um, base, um, I guess. I guess their values and their way of doing things, and of course, Dubai duty free, free's way of doing things. I, I suppose that's had a pretty big influence on on how you see retail, Sharon. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, like you said, the biggest part of my career has now been with Dubai duty free. Um, so you know that. There's, there's something that the Irish um, culture and the Irish way of doing things does bring to a business. You just can't deny it um, in terms of, um, um, you know, having like a family feel to it, um, you know, very strong ethics and morals in terms of how you treat people and um, that without that kind of, um, uh, you know, valuing the staff and the people, um, then the, the work's just not going to be able to get done. And it all starts with the work and the people first. Um, and in fact, Colm has repeated quite a few times in interviews I've heard him um, since the pandemic has been on that, 
you know, the a company has an obligation um, to its uh, people to do the right thing by them um, when things are bad as well as when things are good. Um, and that just has run throughout the whole of the, the company since, I, since I've known them. You are listening to The Tripod with Roger and Martin. Sharon, you mentioned some famous names in our industry already. Uh, so just tell us through those two stints, long stint with Divide Duty Free and before that with uh, ARI, um, key influences on your, on your career? Um, I'd say there's been a few actually. I mean, if I go back to the very beginning in my in mind, because there's one thing that Colm and I have in common, um, other than working for Dubai Duty Free, and that's that both of us started our careers in Woolworths. So, you know, Colm doesn't, um, you know, makes it very well known that he actually started in Woolies sweeping the floor. Um, now, to be fair, I did not start sweeping the floor in Woolies. Um, I was taken onto their management training program um, way back in 86, I suppose. Um, and I started on their management training program. Um, so that really and truthfully is what would have set me on um, my whole retail career. And to be fair to them, that, that program that was on, I was on um, has actually probably um, kept me in good stead um, for many of the work that I've done. It actually, when I started, there was hardly any women on the management training program or in any of the shops. It was that time when, you know, I suppose women professionals were starting to break out into many parts of the industry. So they actually put me with um, one of the very few um, female managers at the time. Um, and I think if, if it wasn't for her, she really um, showed me that, you know, regardless of being 21 and female and knowing nothing, um, that it didn't matter whether you're male or female, that you could make it if you were competent. But in, in the days of some of these big retailers, the manager was like God. You know, he sat up in his office in his big, um, massive desk. He would have been an ashtray on the on the desk. He would have sat there most of the day puffing away. And he was God and, you know, he was very difficult to relate to or have any time spent with. Um, so I went from her to one of these godlike managers um, who hardly interacted with us at all. And I was with a, a um, another trainee who was a guy at the time. And I was practically invisible in the room whenever we did interact with him. So I think that would have completely killed me um, in terms of both confidence and being able to carry on if I'd started with him first. So I always remember Anita Brown for having set me on the way. Um, and then I was very lucky again, as we went through a few years with Woolies to meet some people that were um, more like her than like him. Um, and then by the time I got to Moscow and spent some time um, with the guys in um, Moscow, um, my general manager, who I finished with, was a gentleman called John Meskel. I'm not sure whether you would have known yet, you know, John. Um, John was the first general manager that I came across who was a finance guy. So most of the, the people I'd worked with were just retail through and through. You know, you cut them down the middle and they were just retailers. Um, so John was the first person that I worked with who came from the finance background. And he really, um, I learned quite a few things from him, actually, in terms of that financial aspect of the business. Um, he was very um, black and white in terms of how he did things. Um, but I learned quite a few things from John. And then by the time I got to um, Dubai, it was Brendan, George, Colm. Um, and of course, Colm's just been phenomenal in terms of his support um, for everybody who he works with. He's um, a big support for promoting people through the organization, um, which, perfectly honest, I, you know, I was able to take advantage of. 
um, you know, and in that respect, um, if, I would not have been where I was, where I'm sitting today, um, if it hadn't been for um, Colm and the confidence that he had in me and the support he gave me uh, to offer me this position, so most definitely. I was a bit worried earlier, Sharon, when you mentioned uh, commonality with Colm's earlier career, because, of course, Colm wanted to be a dentist at one stage. That was what he was planning to be. And I would not want to be sitting in a dentist chair with Colin McLaughlin as, <laughs> as my dentist because he moves so fast and he's, yeah. he, he's at it all the time, isn't he? Um, and I think he found his, his right calling, as you did, obviously. One of the questions I, I ask for you, it feels like you've had some really good um, you know, stakeholders in your career where actually equality hasn't got in the way. I know you, not only are you in one of the biggest jobs in our industry uh, and a female leader, how do you find equality generally in travel retail? Because it sounds like in Dubai Duty Free, there's no problem there at all. And Colin's very supportive and Ramesh, et cetera. Um, personally, I very rarely found a problem in terms of it being a wall in front of me that I haven't been able to get over. I, I think it would be, I don't think anybody would believe me if I said that, that I hadn't occasionally come across um, you know, some, I don't know, some problems, but some quite obvious things that was to do with being a woman. Um, it most definitely wasn't within um, Dubai Duty Free. It would have been more to do with um, some of the suppliers that we dealt with. Um, I can tell you now that there was, you know, there is a lot of, I'm going to call them old timers, which, may, which doesn't sound very respectful, but some people have been around a very long time from the supplier point of view that would have been used to working in, in a more male dominated um, arena so that when it comes to them dealing with um, female when they haven't had to in that role some of them haven't found it the easiest thing to do um, so you know and you know we are different I am different at the end of the day and some of that is to do with being a woman some, some of that is to do with just who I am and um, occasionally it's been a little bit um, difficult I'll be honest um, I mean I do you know, I, I say this with the uh, greatest respect to this person in the world, and I know I don't think he meant it at all um, to be uh, disrespectful or insulting, but it just, I, I have to laugh about it now when I think back to it. When um, I went into purchasing, I was taken over from a gentleman called Michelle Pope. Now, Martin will uh, remember him very well. You won't know him, Roger, because he's been retired a long time. Um, but so I went to work with Michelle for about three months um, before he left. So Michelle spent you know, obviously a lot of time bringing me to meetings and introducing me to people. And there was one um, guy, I'm not even going to tell you who he was, uh, he still works in the industry. And he just, um, Michelle introduced me as you know, Mr. Sharon, she's going to take over when I go and blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me and he didn't even take a breath. And he said, um, well, I always knew Dubai Duty Free was a forward-thinking organisation, and now I know it from putting a woman in charge. I've got one last question before we go on to the sort of the end part, uh, more of a personal one, actually. So we both worked at Kingfisher and Superdrug, by the sounds of it. We uh, bumped into each other in Moscow. Um, so a couple of years ago, I sent you a Facebook friend request. Sharon, I've had, I've had nothing back from you. I thought I'd use this uh, platform as a way of finding out what's going on. This is pleasure. I thought you were one of your boyfriends stalking me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, we've, um, we've decided to transport you, as we 
to all our tripod guests in this series to a desert island. We know how hard you work, so we're going to give you a break from the day job for a while. And we're going to make your life a little more pleasurable. You can take a few things along. So, Sharon, you've just arrived on the island. You're allowed one bit of tech. Um, what, what would you bring on the island? I guess it would have to be the laptop, Roger. I mean, at the end of the day, my whole life is on the, this laptop, whether it be work, whether it be personal, no matter what. Um, it would have to be the laptop. I actually don't use a lot of anything else. I mean, even the phone um, is still just a function for me. I mean, I, I think that just shows my age. I make calls on it, um, send messages on it. Um, and if I wanted to actually surf something and find something on the web, I would still use the laptop. I still, I still, this drives me bonkers trying to see on this. Um, but yeah, laptop. And now the contentious question, uh, what would you buy from Duty Free on the way? Uh, what one item would you buy from Duty Free? Well, I got to tell you, the only item that I do constantly buy when I'm flying is more books. But both me and Colin, which is the other thing we have in, um, in common, are always kind of looking, where's the books? Where's the book space? How much space we going to the books? I'm going to push you for one other item, Sharon, because you've, yeah. you've been a champion of the wine category. Uh, you've done a great job, as Michelle Poe did indeed before you, and you've really built that category fantastically. So I'm going to let you have a bottle of wine from any country, old world, new world, wherever, to take on the island. What would it be? I think, and I don't know, maybe this is something about, about me as well. It's going to be the one that I can't get my hands on at the moment. Um, when, when Michelle and I went to Australia um, to pick the first Australian wines in Dubai Duty Free's wine category, which was God knows how many years ago, um, we spent nearly three weeks there drinking God knows how many wines. Um, and one of the wines that we found was um, in the Hunter Valley called um, Cabacali. Um, and it was actually a Scottish gentleman that had moved to Australia many moons before and opened up his winery and, um, and made it Cabacali. And even to this day, it is still the best bottle of Shiraz I've ever tasted. And we used to sell tons of it. Um, and then they got bought out by somebody and it's just been almost bloody impossible to get hold of them again. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us and giving up us 30 minutes of your precious time really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, thank you for sharing everything about your amazing career uh, and uh, we really appreciate it thanks a lot for everything okay thank you thank you very much thank you for not grilling me <laughs> thanks a lot thank you Sharon okay. take good care bye bye, bye. 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 Martin that was uh, great to hear from Sharon uh, some of those stories of her time in Russia, China, and obviously the Middle East. She really has had a, fun, a fascinating career. Uh, and it was great to hear her in this forum talk so openly about all of that. Um, what do you think? Oh, she's a great character too, isn't she? So she's been part of two brilliant success stories, pioneering stories. Uh, she's remained humble in herself and a lot of fun, as, as you saw on that interview. The one thing though, Martin, she does need to do, she needs to accept my Facebook friend request. So I'm gonna be getting on my phone straight after this and I'll be uh, I'll be adding her again and I'll let you know next week if uh, I get a positive response. Well, we'll see what happens, Roger. I wouldn't be too hopeful having been ghosted once. I just feel it might just happen again. And I think that's because she discovered you were a Lionel Richie fan, but that's my theory anyway. Roger, great being with you. Have a good week and let's hope 
the business continues to show more green shoots of recovery around the world. See you next week. See you next week.